Hello and welcome to another episode of Author Conversations, presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster. When you think Big Sky Country, you may think adventure, but you should also think food, and we are exploring big flavors in today's edition. With more than 80 recipes and stunning photography, writer and radio host Stella Fong marries cherished local ingredients with world flavors. Sourced from waterways, mountains, plains, and local farmers markets, Montana's resources shine in a diverse array of savory and sweet applications. Dishes like pheasant stir-fry with black bean sauce and elk kielbasa with pomegranate bring international flair to familiar game. Rhubarb raspberry polenta cake and pavlova roulade with sour cherry sauce and toasted almonds give new life to market and garden staples. And stories of local culinary trailblazers pay tribute to the treasure state's abundance. The host of Yellowstone Public Radio's Flavors Under the Big Sky, celebrating the bounty of the region, offers a fresh take on Big Sky Country's finest fare. Culinary instructor and author Stella Fong has cooking and certified wine professional certifications from the Culinary Institute of America. Her articles have appeared in Edible Bozeman, The Washington Post, Cooking Light, Fine Cooking, Big Sky Journal, Western Art and Architecture, and the San Diego Union Tribune. She is the author of Historic Restaurants of Billings and Billings Food and the host of Yellowstone Public Radio's Flavors Under the Big Sky. Stella, thanks for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to talk to you. Yes, of course. And I've been looking forward to talking to you. And, you know, you're my first food uh, interview, my first uh, cookbook, my first uh, history of food interview, I think, for the podcast. Now, I've been doing this for about a year now. Well, congratulations. But your publishing company, I mean, I'm, what am I, like the third cookbook you guys have produced? Or you guys just delved into this whole endeavor. Yeah, we've had culinary history, but, you know, and we've had some books. We've had Southern Breads that come out that I've worked on in the past and um, uh, some garden books. And, of course, when we have some classic restaurant books, there are recipes from some of those restaurants in it. But this is a really heavy recipe book, but there's also a lot of history in the book, too, and it just works out really well hand-in-hand, I think. Yeah, no, it was a thrill to put this together. So, uh, you know, all my passions all put together in one book. So I thank you for the opportunity. And it really comes through in the book. In fact, you know, early on in the book, you speak to the fact that food brings people out of their shell in a way, and everyone has a story related to food, whether it be about a favorite restaurant or a family recipe. And I know that some of my favorite memories are related to food and trying to one-up my dad making a barbecue sauce, which he has cheated on now in the way of (laughs) making. But that's another story for another time. Um, But there's something mysterious about the, I think, about the love of food to me because it's something personal in the way of taste, but something that we love to share and want to bond over. So why is it that we seem to want to bond over, even though it is something that can also be very personal? Why do we open up over it? It's a really great question, and I believe that, you know, we have to eat every single day, Um, and yet food brings people together during celebrations and holidays, and for many people, that just brings those good memories and the safety to actually talk about it, and I always find that, especially when I'm interviewing people for my Flavors Under the Big Sky radio show, it is one of those things that you, when you get people to talk about food and they could be the most shy, most uncomfortable people, food just makes them sparkle, you know, especially yeah. if you yeah. ask them like, what's the, what's your favorite food? 
somebody, I think, always has a response to that. And my privilege was always, you know, a, a lot of chefs, and that's not exactly true. A lot of chefs are in kitchens because they are introverted. Their expression and their creativity and how they excel is in that kitchen. And they can bring foods together, ingredients together, and flavors together just innately. They just know how. And to for them to actually put words to it, sometimes that can be difficult. But once they do, it is one of the best, I would say, privileged experiences I can um, feel or, or experience in my life, too. So this book allowed me that opportunity to combine my love of food and how I settled into Montana. And then what happened was when I got the show to host Flavors into the Big Sky, celebrating the Bounty of the Region about four years ago, it really came together as to what a bounty we had in this area. All you had to do was just look and see. Yeah, and you came to Montana via San Diego, but yes. you've added your own taste to the Big Sky flavor. And the roast duck with the steamed buns looks incredible, by the way. And But that is what this book is about, flavors from everywhere coming together in Montana. But Montana herself, the land and streams, brings so much to the table, mixed with places from all over the world. I mean, there's a chef in the book that's practiced in France and South, Af uh, South Africa as well. Would I be wrong in thinking that Montana has something for everyone? If needed... I see pork dishes, radish, cherry, asparagus salad, a steamed trout. It just seems like Montana has so much to offer. Montana does have a lot to offer, and it's very seasonal, you know, on on both coasts. I'm going to say more on the West Coast. You almost can access ingredients from all over the world because of the seasons and, and the growing season. Montana was more limited and during the years that I have been here, and I've been here for 20 years, we moved here 20 years ago, and mm -hmm. I will say the, the brown truck wasn't readily available to deliver things, and on, on online uh, availability was not as available at, at that point. And I had to either go to the coasts and buy things and bring them home, and then concoct my own mixtures of spices and sauces that I have in the book as a pantry, or I would just have to use what was here. As time evolved, there was that almost like this discovery that noticing that we have a lot here and people finally realize that we do have a bounty here. There is a certain modesty to Montana. I think that Montana feels like they are overshadowed by other places around the world and there's not food here and there's not the availability of really amazing ingredients, but there are when you really look. And this movement of local and appreciating local foods, I think eyes are being opened and really like standing up and having that confidence saying that we do have good food here rather than saying, well, you know, we just go out and we hunt or we just have you know, some berries in the field type of thing. But I think that uh, people are really embracing what is available here. And yeah. when I'm, yeah. I'm trying to just um, showcase that in the book. Yeah, and you even have a, you know, you, when you talk about the microclimate, I think with the cherries and the peaches, 
that you've talked about, you know, that was interesting to me too, because I found myself guilty and I apologize for doing it. You know, even when it comes to all Western states and Montana, and I took a poll of people I know, and the majority of them thought this too, I hate to say it, but when it comes to thinking of food in the Western states, people think of beef especially, specifically steak. But you prove in the book that there's so much more. Salmon's been introduced into the state, and of course trout are found in the state's waterways. Uh, Morals are hunted, and around Flathead Lake you pointed out that, like I said earlier, cherries and peaches have that microclimate. And this is uh, just from one of the state's regions you mentioned in the book. And there's just so many gems that, you know, I didn't know about. And you talked about how it you didn't find this out until you started researching your first book. Can you tell us a little bit about the first book you wrote for us in the History Press? History of Restaurants of Billings was the first first book that really, uh, I, I think it really opened my eyes as to the food culture that was here in Billings. And, you know, of course, it started with the arrival of the railroads. So when you have the iron vein bringing in things from like the East Coast, mm-hmm. most people were immigrating from that area of the world. What naturally occurred was that people wanted the same culinary delights that they experienced back home. So those menus actually had items like oysters and seafood and different kinds of charcuterie that you would think was not something that people would seek out here, but it was on menus. And again, they were being shipped in by the railroad cars. And of course, there was Uh, some of the influences of the Chinese early in the beginning and some of those dishes like egg foo young and, you know, the fried rice um, all kind of came together and made and put together with whatever ingredients were available. So as I went through and, and looked in the historical part, some of the history too was current history. So we started in the 1800s for, you know, the back history you know, worked into the railroad and then the nightclubs that would emerge. There were private clubs and then, you know, started serving foods. But again, you're right. Most of the emphasis in this area of the world were steaks. The cow produced the beef that came in on our plates and pallets in many cases leaned in that direction. And you would hear of people, you know, making choke cherry jams or huckleberry jams or other berry jams and looking at other things that were available here. But I'm going to say it's more of a a recent emergence of that, hey, we really have some really great products here. And I do think some of the chefs that have come from the outside and sometimes it takes an outside person to actually see the treasures that maybe people who have lived here forever just take for granted. They don't appreciate Mm -hmm. what they have here. And so, yes, you're right. You know, the peaches from the Flat Lake area, which there's a microclimate because of that lake, it moderates some of the, you know, severe uh, weather that we may see here. Um, Morel mushrooms emerge. And again, is that timing, that season that you just have to find these things. And along with morels, there's asparagus that come to be. Uh, And so it's one of those that you just have to be aware and eat seasonally and appreciate what 
grows and Mother Nature brings to be during those specific times of the year. Um, what's happened, I think, and people lose appreciation was, you know, when we got into that processed food um, culture, people were beginning to think that you had to eat a certain way and maybe going more towards, I would say, the science food rather than appreciating what was really fresh and in front of them. So we kind of lost ourselves a little bit during that period of time. Yeah, I mean, just looking at some of the pictures, too, in the book, it'll make you hungry, especially some of the, I'll admit it, I'm a little bit of a chubby guy. <laughs> Those desserts really speak to me, but and this next question, and I can't judge because I've never tried it, but you not only produce shows on bugs, but you added them as part of your diet. And as I said, I can't judge it. And I've honestly have never spoken to anyone who eats them. But can you tell me the benefits of having bugs as part of your diet? Well, it is very, very high in protein. And it is one where I do believe that they add some texture to your food. But how I was introduced to the whole uh, enjoyment was of bugs was by Dr. Florence Dunkel of Montana State University in Bozeman. She invited me to judge um, her kind of bug buffet. Uh, she has been doing for, I would say, what has it been 20 years? I can't remember the exact time, but she's been doing it for a number of years to bring in this very high protein product that takes up less space. You know, it's more ecologically sound you know, for our environment, you know, you get more protein out of eating bugs than you would be eating an equivalent amount of beef. So, but what we are as I think, um, and more of an American culture, because around the world, many cultures are, have been eating bugs and have been integrating them into their diets. So, um, she, again, introduced me to this whole way of eating bugs, asked me to judge one of the uh, contests or that she had with her students. So some of the students that she, were, she was teaching, she asked them to cook up bugs. And, and I thought, hmm, first of all, I will say, you know, I was not a very good cook when I was in college early on. And I thought, well, I'm not so sure if I, I, I want to eat food that's been cooked by people who don't know how to cook. So I admit that was a very snobby kind of re reaction. And plus, if bugs are integrated into them, then I'm not so sure that that'd be really great also. But the experience was incredible because they produced some of the best dishes I have had. I think one of the winning dishes was a kind of a meringue with black ants and had some fruit in it. And black ants have that sour lemon uh, essence to them when you bite into them. And so actually adds that really deliciousness to a dish, you know, crickets or uh, they tend to have more of a nutty, kind of crunchy taste. So it's more us as a culture that we've been somewhat adverse to eating bugs. You know, you, you think, I will say I have um, a cowboy or a prairie uh, cookie uh, in my cookbook. And every time I mention that, 
uh, cookie, which has chocolate chips and chocolate espresso beans and um, crickets in them that people are a little averse to trying it. Well, yeah, I don't know if I would ever try it, but I'm open to it. I really am. Uh, something else I wanted to ask you about, because I know we're all we're all separated right now, of course. Um, but there is the hope of summer, and that maybe we all can have a summer get together again. Um, and your largest chapter in the book is on Billings, where you call home for a while, and it's almost a tribute chapter. I felt like in a way when I was reading it. So, and there's a lot of agriculture around Billings. Um, I've, I learned from reading that chapter. So if you were going to have a summer get together, Stella, what, what agricultural fair would you have from the plains in that area at, for that summer get together? What meat would you serve from any region and what dessert would you say would go best with such occasion? Feel free to give more than one dessert. Okay. So, you know, it's really, really hard during this whole COVID-19 to even, I, I'm going to say almost think about what is going to happen in the summer. And one of the things that really, really brought me to appreciation of what was happening here in Billings were the local producers who were actually bringing together a lot of our food. Swanky Roots, which is an aquaponics uh, greenhouse production facility, really brought to light that we need to locally produce food and they showcased and shined during this period of time, producing some of the best greens. And, you know, people flock to their facility to pick up that gift of having produce that was not brought in from far away and on trucks from far away places that we could go down the street and get really great greens. Um, I also saw that one of the things that emerged during this period of time was the Yellowstone Food Hub also gained a lot of supporters and people because they began to see that we really have some really great local produce and availability. So that comes back to my kind of local dishes, you know, during the summer. Again, that embracing of what is available at that period of time. You know, I have rhubarb that is emerging in my garden, and you talked about desserts. You know, that rhubarb raspberry tart, you know, we is one of, I would say, my favorite desserts in the cookbook because it integrates rhubarb and raspberries, which is that showing of spring. So, again, I'm starting with dessert first um, on that. You know, if we could secure morel mushrooms, um, that would be another one. You know, there also, you can find morels in the mountains, but we can find them on the plains here in the rivers near the Yellowstone River. Again, eaten with the least amount of um, manipulation and cooking is probably the best way to enjoy that. And then there is nothing better than asparagus that is just picked, you know, right from either the, the riverbanks or I'm going to say from my garden. We're starting to grow that, um, that you can secure and go out and forage and find. 
So if I could start with those and if we can sneak those into um, a, a meal, that would be fantastic. Um, again, in the bounty of, you know, even though we're heading into fall, what happens with a lot of people is that they will hunt during the fall and their freezers are brimming with some great bounty that they have secured from their hunts. So that sometimes comes out in the summer because they're emptying out freezers and, you know, getting rid of the duck that may, uh, you know, may be taking up space for that possible adventure excursion um, into, you know, the fall and the winter when that hunting resumes again. Um, gosh, I, I'm just trying summer. The tomatoes, you know, that come in, um, we have a garden. And so that's where that uh, tomato sauce comes in and the rhubarb is still lingering. So that tomato sauce goes on, you know, the gnocchi that um, we're making um, from the book. And again, salads, you know, we just have salads galore because the herbs are in bloom and the greens are going and, you know, we just put everything together. I think one of the beauties is to be flexible and to see what is emerging. You know, are, do we have a, a bunch of eggplants? So then we make baba ganoush. Uh, do, are the tomatoes ripening? Do we just slice them up and make um, a tomato mozzarella salad? Or, you know, I, I find that that is usually the most fun of summertime or eating. That all sounds delicious. And, you know, to wrap, you know, to start to wind down and wrap, wrap everything up, there seems to be something romantic about Montana. It's a place I've always wanted to visit. And the name Big Sky Country seems to invoke a sense of freedom and wild open country. So before we go, besides food, what to you makes Montana special? Well, you hit it on the nose. Big Sky Country. One of the things that I really, really love here and we've noticed is that, um, open big sky and for me I need space above my head and I guess space allows you to dream and to think and it's almost funny because before we moved here um the, someone was saying that you know they were visiting somewhere else you know outside of Montana and she said that she felt that where she was was claustrophobic and I never understood that until I moved here. And Big Sky Country just is beautiful. It's open. Um, you know, where I live in Billings, I will say there's more subtle beauties, um, subtle points to this place where we live. Uh, most of people think of Big Sky as, you know, the glaciated mountains and all that, but a lot of Montana is more desert, more arid. But it is a place where I think we have room to roam, room to be, and room to think. Um, and I can say that because I've moved here from San Diego 20 years ago and made this place home, and it is probably one of the more welcoming places that I have ever been. Um, and there's just room to just be, and I think people are in some ways more open here than uh, other places. And um, I have been allowed to talk to some incredible producers and ranchers and cooks and chefs and have had that really great opportunity because I think that 
there is a story to tell. There's a culinary food story that um, it can be told here, and there is a personality here that um, of appreciation and love of producing and eating food. That sounds incredible. Stella, thanks for being with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And thank you, the audience, for listening. You can pre-order Stella's book at ArcadiaPublishing.com or at your local bookstore. Flavors Under the Big Sky will be available on June 15th. And while you're at ArcadiaPublishing.com, enter in your zip code to the search bar at the top of the page to see what books Arcadia Publishing and the History Press has on your town. If you have an idea for a book and want to tell your local history story, reach out to Arcadia by visiting ArcadiaPublishing.com, scroll down to the bottom of any page, and click the Make Me an Author link. It's the first step in writing your own history book and telling the history of your town, state, or region. If you have questions for me or episode suggestions, shoot me an email at ArcadiaAuthorConversations at gmail.com. And as always, I want to thank my pals, Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project, for the show's theme song. Remember, you can visit them on Facebook at Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project. And I'll talk to you soon.